0: This week we'll talk about improving our world with analytics and we have a special guest today, Parvati. Parvati is a CTO at Analytics for a Better World, a non-profit organization aiming to use analytic techniques to contribute to sustainable development goals. And she holds a professional doctorate degree in data science from Eindhoven University of Technology. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Alexei.
0: Yeah, so the questions for today's interview were prepared by Johanna Bayer. Thanks, Johanna, for your help. And also, I would like to thank Adonis Stellas for introducing us uh, and introducing me to Parvati. So thanks a lot uh, for that. And uh, let's start before we go into our main topic of improving our world with analytics. Let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far?
1: So I started in 2007 in India. I studied my bachelor's in electrical and electronics engineering. And after completing the bachelor's program, I really wanted to work in renewable energy sector because, yeah, with my background in electrical electronics, it was an obvious choice for me uh, to go into renewable sector because I was also very passionate about sustainable development. At that point, even though I didn't know the depth and width of this field, being a very young graduate. So I uh, did a master's in energy management and climate change technology. I realized that collecting and using data is becoming more and more Prominent in this field, and I started learning a lot of modeling, simulation, uh, data analysis, specifically in the energy management sector. And I started working in India itself, so I worked in research and development throughout uh, research institutes in India, uh, predominantly working with solar photovoltaics and in the data side uh, of that. I saw a really good job opportunity in Singapore at that point at the National University of Singapore, where they were collecting a lot of data from cross-climatic photovoltaic systems and analysing it. So I jumped at that opportunity to learn more about data science and I uh, applied and I got in. So I worked there for almost more than two years. And... Then I realized data is not just uh, usable in renewable energy sector. It can be used for other fields in sustainability as well. And I realized I do not have an education in data science. Uh, So I decided to pursue an uh, education there as well. So I moved to Netherlands. I pursued a professional doctorate program in TU Eindhoven. And I'm based currently in Eindhoven in the Netherlands. And after graduation, I started working in the public sector. So I started freelancing for World Bank and United Nations. Uh, specifically UNDP in India, on a series of uh, sustainability projects, leading the data part of it uh, across healthcare, transportation, infrastructure, and others. And last year, the University of Amsterdam, together with some private sector players, decided to set up this Analytics for a Better World Institute. And they were looking for a CTO. And thanks to uh, my good luck, I got the offer. And last year, I started working with them. So I still continue to consult for both World Bank and UN on a series of projects. But yeah, majority of my time, I work as a CTO there. And that's basically my career journey.
0: Mm, interesting. What do you do there as a CTO? As CTO?
1: So basically what Analytics for a Better World does is we connect nonprofits with research and private sector expertise. So not just organization, but with expertise. So what we see is that many nonprofits have questions that sometimes require deep research, but in many cases they require uh, things to be set up, scaled, develop tools, dashboards, visualization, so for that but they internally may not have the capability. So what we do at Analytics for Better World is try to make this connection and start projects for nonprofits, either research projects or implementation and analytic projects. And some of them I uh, help in brainstorming, ideating, coming up with uh, digital solutions. Also, we try to understand the maturity of the nonprofit and based on that, we create a tech and a tool set because with not every nonprofit, you can directly go to machine learning and deep learning. You need to start smaller, i trade fast, because that's the only way we can drive digital transformation. So we start from the beginning, we ideate, we brainstorm, we understand the maturity, we have a long-term partnership kind of a model of working with nonprofits. And I deal with most of the technical stuff, uh, data part. Uh, we have a managing director who looks at more the business development, making partnerships work, way of working, etc. So I sometimes lead data projects, sometimes lead brainstorming workshops. I even create a curriculum for uh, training and upskilling nonprofits and
0: others. Uh, that's a lot of information I'm trying to know. <laughs> so what you do is you connect... Uh... Nonprofit organizations. Uh, so, you help nonprofit organizations with analytics, right? And that means you set up all this technical infrastructure. And even before that, you do some brainstorming sessions with them, right? To understand what they actually need, what kind of tools they need. So, maybe we can start with these brainstorming sessions. Like, let's say a nonprofit organization comes to you and says, Stop. help us with digital transformation. So how do you start that? How do you work with them? What things you talk about in these brainstorming sessions?
1: Usually we try to understand the different levels of the organization. So let's say we can summarize into three categories. So we have executives who make long-term strategy plans for the organization Then there are like managers or project leads or program leads or organization uh, department leads who put together teams, who define and deliver and implement projects. Then there is hands-on practitioners who are actually implementing projects and not all nonprofit project is a data project. Their goal is, let's say, to deliver humanitarian assistance or to make sure that schools in the neighborhood have access to food, electricity. So their goal is totally different, but they might have a data component in their project. So during the brainstorm, what we try to understand is at these different levels in the organization, what level of data maturity is already existing? Then we try to understand what are the things that is required in their strategy for them to grow in data science. Do they really need to invest in resources? Do they need to invest in infrastructure, like you said, or do they need to invest in a long-term strategy and plan? So we try to understand this through a series of interviews with different groups within the team or organization. And then we try to come up with a roadmap. But also not every nonprofit is the same. Some nonprofits come to us with a really good already Defined problem statement, then we help them implement the solution for it. So it totally depends on at what level of maturity the nonprofit is and do they already have a problem statement, yes or no. So, yeah, I would say it depends on the nonprofit, but this gives you a flavor of how those brainstormings work.
0: Mm -hmm. Just curious if you, I don't know if you can tell us or not, maybe you can just pick an example. Without naming maybe organizations or if you can name that would be even interesting and then a project that you did for them recently and uh, would be interesting to see like how you took it like from you know from the start and then worked on that like defined this roadmap did this brainstorming defined roadmap and then found the solution
1: yes definitely I can give you one example so this is not a direct example of a project because yeah we cannot divulge all the information due to mm-hmm. privacy and others but we recently, or last year, uh, later uh, part of October, we started an academy where we uh, trained nonprofits, and it was an open free program where we invited nonprofits from around the globe to apply for practitioners. So uh, we received more than 340 applications from around the globe. And we, from that, we selected 43 fellows or nonprofit data practitioners to work with us and go through an eight-week program. And in the first few weeks, they did some data science courses Then in the second half, we did brainstorming with them. In your nonprofit, let's try to identify a problem that you would like to solve. And I will give one example from uh, the United Nations Environment Program in Nairobi, Kenya. So we worked with a fellow from there uh, who had a problem that in Kenya, waste management is a huge issue. And what uh, they were seeing on the ground was that there were not enough waste collection points throughout the city they wanted to use analytics and optimization models to understand how can we improve this situation. Uh, so what we did is we paired them up with mentors and uh, who are already experienced data scientists, and we paired them up with some of our trainers from university doing some optimization research uh, because it requires mathematical modeling as well. And they joined, we did a very simple proof of concept pilot where they uh, used data, what is openly available to say population densities, they overlaid the road network data and others to say this is where you need to establish more waste collection points. But then uh, it was an 8-feet program, of course, and the brainstorming came up with a really solid idea to take forward. And now what we are doing is we are uh, having a student plus a small team supporting them to scale this up because that was a proof of concept. It worked fine as a, a test case, but now we are working with them to implement it as a Proper solution, even using, for example, satellite imagery to identify large scale dumping grounds of waste to see maybe in those areas you need not just data solution, but you might need more advocacy for waste segregation and plastic waste collection. So, this is one example where we started with just a brainstorming and an idea. We went all the way to actually now developing a solution. And uh, I just want to make this very clear the data part is just one part of the solution. You have the other parts, like you need to have public officials, you need to have advocacy for better data collection, you need to have advocacy for on-the-ground training for people to actually do the segregation. So uh, the data part is helping the official reach there, but there is much more beyond that to get the solution to work and scale.
0: Yeah, that's uh, probably, I don't know if I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I expect that the level of maturity when it comes to data in these organizations in the public sector is probably lower compared to, I don't know, a typical startup, uh, internet startup, right? A typical internet company. Is it uh, the right observation? What kind of level of data maturity do you usually see in these organizations?
1: It also depends on nonprofits. There are some nonprofits or development sector organizations that have really good maturity in terms of digital. They have like a data science team. They might already have data scientists working with them from other organizations. They might have research teams. But if you look at uh, the overall landscape, yes, there is a resource gap. Uh, there is a lot of need for data scientists in this sector and the sector also have huge competition with the private sector, right? Because private sector have a lot of need for data scientists as well. And then the data scientists have an option to choose either to work in a public or a private sector company. And in many cases, what I see is in a non-profit uh, data is not their first order of business. Like I said before, their main goal is uh, not to collect and analyze data, but their goal is something else and data is one part of it. So you need also data scientists who have that kind of affinity to work with them, who understands the big picture and not just uh, start developing machine learning every time they see some data set, but to understand where to contextualize it. So there is definitely a resource gap. And there is a huge demand. So this is where I think I mentioned before from our analytics, the academy that we set up, it was our first time setting up an academy and we are a new organization. We do not have that much visibility yet. We do have a lot of partners and nonprofits working with us, but uh, if you look at it, we are relatively new. So uh, even then, we received so many applications from top uh, organizations around the world. So it really shows that there is a need. And uh, one more thing is, it was a free program and usually free educational programs, the dropout rate is high and the retention, because it's an eight week program, there can be very less number of people who actually graduate. But that problem we did not have at all because we really looked at the motivation and the fellows were motivated throughout the program. And yeah, we had really high retention rate and attendance plus the program completion rate. So, yeah, I have to say extremely motivated resources who are existing. but
0: there is a huge uh, skill gap, yes. Mm. How do you solve this skill gap? Because I imagine that, like, if you compare the public sector with the private sector, that I suspect that the usual internet companies who are in the private sector, that they probably can pay more, right? And then it's kind of hard to compete because, like, people who... I don't know, graduate from university, or people who are already experienced, they might want to go there because already data maturity is maybe better there, uh, like there's better compensation and other things, right? So how do you actually, I don't know, manage to close this gap, manage to find people who want to work in the public sector, who want to contribute? So how do you do this?
1: What we see at least is that uh, nowadays, young people are extremely driven by purpose, not always uh, financial benefits alone. And I have worked both in private and public sector and I wouldn't speak for the rest of the world, but sometimes you, uh, when you are working, especially in public sector, you get that sense of purpose much more than when you are working in a private sector company. It's not always the same for all companies, uh, disclaimer here, but what we try to help and I think One organization alone cannot solve this problem. It is a huge problem and we need partnerships and we need like a combined effort from different organizations to actually achieve this. But I can talk about what we try to do to help. Mm. So we have analytics for a better world courses, both here at University of Amsterdam and MIT. Actually, our uh, science to impact uh, co-director is currently in Boston giving that course So we do this course both at bachelor level and uh, master's level. And this is for, let's say, training new young people to know that there is this field. So everybody is not aware that there is this stream that they can go after they uh, do a program in data science. And also to get them excited that the problems are actually quite mathematically challenging as well. It's not straightforward problems that we have to solve. It's quite uh, mentally and...
0: Like this one. Yeah. The one you mentioned about the waste management, right? So it's like, it's a very difficult problem. Like where do you exactly put these uh, waste collectors, right? It's, it's a yeah. difficult modeling problem.
1: It is, And it's very exciting to solve it, you know, it's not just uh, from the social perspective, but as a technical person, I get challenging problems, I get really excited. So I we, as an organization, want to inspire young people to realize that this is definitely possible and there are these interesting problems to solve out there. Uh, secondly, we also see that a lot of nonprofits already have people working with data. We want to upskill them. Plus, we want to get organizations also to invest in improving their data maturity, because like you said before, a lot of data scientists need to feel that they are working in a more uh, mature organization to understand that how they can uh, like contribute and they need to have all the tools and techniques and support to develop these solutions, right? So that's exactly why I mentioned these three levels. So we have executives, we have uh, managers or analytics translators, uh, very commonly used word. Then we have data science practitioners. So analytics for a better world, we have an academy and through academy last year hosted a program for... uh, practitioners, which is hands-on data science skills. This year, we will repeat that cohort. Plus, we are adding a new course for analytics translators. And in the pipeline for next year, we have plans or, uh, like to post a poster program for executives as well. But uh, we need some more preparation time for it because for practitioners, we have eight weeks, for analytics translators, it's going to be a shorter program. And for executives, it have to be two days or so because yeah, are getting them uh, engaged for more. So uh, the curriculum requires more research and that's exactly what we are doing now. We are planning to interview a lot of executives who are working in the nonprofits to develop their curriculum. It is also difficult to set up a curriculum for them because if you look at, I mean, you know, you probably know uh, there is Coursera, Udemy, there is so much data science content out there, but how do we tailor it for nonprofits and how do we tailor a curriculum which speaks to them and their language, it's also not uh, very easy, so we are also learning in the process. Last year was a success and we are very happy for that, but we can still improve and we are working on uh, doing much research into developing such a curriculum for these three levels within organizations.
0: Mm -hmm. So as I understood, like maybe in summary, you solve this skill gap by education and you educate people at different levels. You start with the students uh, from universities like MIT and University of Amsterdam, but then you also work with the companies upskilling people there on all the three levels that you mentioned. And I'm wondering, so you create a lot of educational content. Is any of this content publicly available? Do you have like maybe courses from MIT or University of Amsterdam somewhere in public?
1: So we are... huge proponents of open source, as you can probably imagine, that's the whole purpose of this. So whatever we develop, for example, for the fellowship, uh, most of the lectures you can find in YouTube channel of ours, uh, where, uh, of course, the interactive sessions and the mentoring cannot be captured completely, but the courses are there. Many of the lecturers from the bachelors and masters program they give workshops also specifically about these for students uh, we also like do a lot of showcase of our projects for people to see and it is all available in open domain and if i can add one more thing not just about the academy but we also have a github repository where whatever we are developing for non profits Not the data, of course, the data is proprietary and it stays with the nonprofit, but the algorithms and models, if we see it is applicable for other use cases, we make them also openly available. And we try not to use proprietary tools in general, but in some cases we cannot escape. (laughs) But in most of the cases, we try to uh, use open source and both knowledge and any deliverables or results we openly make available.
0: That's really cool. So please send us the links to these resources. So we will include them in the show notes. But I'm wondering, maybe you can tell us more about these courses that you have with universities. So like what kind of modules do you have there? What is the focus? What do you teach there?
1: So I do not uh, teach myself. We have a science to impact uh, co-directors, two professors. So Mm -hmm. one is... Uh, Professor Dimitris Bertimus, he's from MIT Sloan School of Management. And then, of course, in Amsterdam, we have Professor Dick ten Hertog. So they are the ones who are uh, leading, let's say, most of the educational programs in universities. And we have other professors like Joachim Gromicho, who also uh, takes sessions. Uh, so it's not just us, we have a big extended team mm-hmm. behind us who does these courses. Uh, just to give you, in a nutshell, what the courses talk about. If you look at the data analytics ascendancy metrics, as we call it, you usually start with descriptive analytics, which is just knowing what is happening and you visualize, you get data clean, all those things. Then you do diagnostic analysis where you see why things happen and what are the root causes. Then you can do prediction. So you can forecast, you can create early warning systems, you can make machine learning models, you can do some... Uh, image detection geospatial analysis but the last step which is quite difficult and it is more impactful is optimization which is talking about how can we make things better so i will give you a very uh, quick example of what we did with uh, world bank or what we are actually doing now also continuing to do with world bank We went to Timaleste together with World Bank to study how the current uh, hospital network in Timaleste is and do people actually have access to primary healthcare centers. So we make a map of all the population points, we map the existing hospitals, we map roads, then we calculate the travel distances and we see at five kilometers, 10 kilometers, 15 kilometers, how many people or what percentage of people have access. Now, this is descriptive. Basically, you have just the know the as a scenario, but then we try to do some more analysis to see why it is so. Is it just the road network? Is it uh, new hospitals are required? But then the last step is the prescriptive part where we are actually using a mathematical model to say, where do you place new hospitals? Now, that is the decision making point. Because knowing all the previous steps is necessary to make that decision, but that model, the optimization model is what will give you the decision-making capability saying that put a hospital in this county or a sub-county to give access to X percent more population. And this is going to cost you so much. If you had five more, you go from 50 to hundred percent. It's just an example, of course, but giving that power is what uh, we try to incorporate into all our training programs. So how you can actually go from descriptive and diagnostic to this optimization model and how you can use uh, mathematics or others to actually come up with that decision-making capability. I think that is summarizes the core of all our training programs.
0: Mm-hmm. So from what I understood, of course, like you have multiple training programs, and they each of them have a different target audience, right? But uh, the ones in these universities, MIT and University of Amsterdam, who is the main target audience? Uh, is it people who I don't know who study management, or is it people who study data science and analytics? Uh, like, are they more technical, are they less technical?
1: That's a good question. They are technical. Uh, so, we have, uh, for example, MBA in Big Data program. That's an MBA program, but they have a Big Data uh, component. So, they do learn uh, some of this. Uh, we also have a business analytics course, both here at MIT, the Sloan School of Management. So, these are the kind of uh, students who take up these courses. But we are also, have been brainstorming. It's not done yet. It's on seeing if, healthcare or education or these kind of programs can also have such components. But uh, yeah, that's uh, just an idea at this point. But like you asked, in universities, most of our courses are targeting students who are learning business analytics or MBA in big data. So both mm-hmm. management as well as uh, mm-hmm. technical.
0: Yeah. So they already know analytics and you just show them the application of analytics for nonprofits, right? For public sector.
1: Nonprofits and also maybe a more of optimization kind of mm-hmm. uh, problem. So mm-hmm. we teach them more prescriptive uh, uh, analytics.
0: Yes, but the the point is that they already know analytics. You just show them how they can apply this to solve real world problems. Okay, that must be quite inspiring. I imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the key feedback we get from students. They are all very excited, and we have a lot of them working with nonprofits during their thesis as well. So that shows that, yeah, they get, do get inspired and they want to work with nonprofits for their thesis. And interestingly, we also get uh, requests from other students who are not really from these programs uh, writing to us, asking if they can do thesis with us. And yeah we do encourage that as well. So these are not just open to University of Amsterdam or MIT or uh, any of their affiliate, let's say, universities. We do encourage other students also to come and work with us, do their thesis, yeah, to see how they can help us.
0: That's actually, I see this question coming up in the community, in Slack, quite often. People come and ask, hey, I need to write a thesis, but I have no idea what to write about. Can you suggest good topics?" And yeah, so maybe for these people, for these students who come and ask these questions, how can they contact you and and find out uh, how they can help with their skills? How can they take part in this? What's the best way of doing this? Maybe you have like a public list somewhere with possible topics, or like, how do they go about this?
1: Yeah, actually, this is not that, uh, let's say, Structures. straightforward because we usually define it together with nonprofits uh-huh. and the problem can evolve over time. So it's not like there is a list somewhere and people just choose. It is a bit more personal, uh, let's say. Mm-hmm. Just to give one example, so we have a student who says we want to do thesis with us. Then we know that our some of our nonprofits have some pressing issues. Uh, we send the student and the nonprofit in a brainstorming together with us to define a problem statement which works for both of them. Because it's not just that it should match what the nonprofit want, it should also appeal to the students because they are investing a lot of time. We want them to get excited about it as well and passionate. So uh, I wouldn't say it is that industrialized yet where they can choose. Mm -hmm. But they can always reach out to us in our uh, website. We have a page specifically for researchers and students where they can just write a message. We always get back to them or uh, I think you have our LinkedIn page. You have uh, my LinkedIn, Robert's LinkedIn. You can just reach out to us. We are always open to all these. Uh, We are not that busy that we don't uh, have time to answer these. So just reach out to us personally.
0: Yeah, so we'll make sure to include all the links you send us. So what I understood if, I don't know, there is somebody, a student in India or in Germany or any other country, which is, I don't know, not from any university, which is not MIT or University of Amsterdam, if there is a student, and if they want to write a thesis with you, what they do is they go to your website, there is a section for students and researchers, and they simply contact you, right? And then you take it from there. Sounds good yeah okay and i want to go back a bit so when we discussed your different uh, educational initiatives and one of the things you mentioned was that you want to improve data maturity of existing organizations and you do this by upskilling people and perhaps something more so i'm really curious how exactly you go about this so you come you join or you work with an organization and you see that the data maturity could be improved so what are your next steps what do you do that uh
1: so first we need to measure to actually improve right so we do some series of interviews like i said we also have standard questionnaires standard formats of these measuring the maturity let's say and then uh, using the template we say okay currently you are here in terms of people or in process in technology so it is not just uh, about technology it's about the process and people as well then together with the management they we look at their strategy for uh next Uh, one year, three year, five year. Then we say that uh, based on this strategy, this is the roadmap. So we help them create a roadmap for data and digital transformation. So you need to upskill the people around these sectors. These are the options for uh, fundraising. These are the training programs. Also, these are the tools that you can internally use to maximize operational efficiency. Because sometimes we see that a process is not correct. They have set up something, but it needs uh, some optimization there, then we uh, help them set it up. So it's not just about training, but it goes much beyond that. I can give one example without naming the nonprofit is that we saw in the nonprofit that there is already a Azure a cloud environment set up, but there were configurations which were actually like not optimized that they are spending more money than what is necessary. A lot of the unused resources or clusters were not turned off or uh, they are still running, which is running up cost. So there also we have to, first of all, shut them down, reduce cost, but also come up with a standard operating procedure so that next time any team in the organization set it up, they follow a set of criteria. You know, uh, If you are no, no longer using it, this is what you have to do. So it's not just about shutting it down, optimizing. You have to document it and make them aware that yeah these are the standard operating procedures and it is uh, again i have to go back to what i was uh, saying it's totally dependent on the nonprofit. some nonprofits require more investments in people some more in technology but yeah we kind of try to tailor it to the uh, non-profit the whole process but usually maturity scan uh, discussions and then we create a roadmap, we help them implement the roadmap in stages. So it's not like at once you come and change the whole organization, it's a long process. Uh, Usually we have like uh, short-term goals and long-term goals in the roadmap and we implement it in uh, pieces.
0: Mm. So yeah, you mentioned three aspects or three dimensions that you measured during the interview. So people, processes and technology. Maybe can you give us a little bit more insight into what exactly you measure there, like in terms of people, processes and tech, what exactly you look at?
1: Uh, Like you said, if the strategy of an organization, let's say, is to collect and analyze more health-related indicators, just uh, one example. They are working in the ground with healthcare professionals and hospitals. Uh, We look at, are they collecting the right amount of data? Are they... Having the capacity to analyze this data, so that is where resources coming. That's, that's
0: come the tech part, or people part, or process part.
1: It's actually let's start with the people part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look at people, so they need people who know how to collect the right amount of data, people who know how to uh, structure the questions, let's say, or even uh, set up that uh, collection uh, system or a mobile app to collect this data. It's
0: like uh, researchers, right? Like social scientists or people who have this background of doing, you know, asking questions and making sure they are not biased and all that stuff, right?
1: Yeah, plus you need some technical experts or uh, data science people who can help them create a or, um, web app and connect mm-hmm. it via an API to an analytics part. So it has to be a team. So including, let's say, people who can... Mm-hmm set up the questionnaire, but also digitally collect the information, put it into a uh, server somewhere, host it. So you need a team who can do all this, right? Mm. So that is people.
0: Mm -hmm. So if they have a team, then they are already more or less mature. If there is no team, then you understand, okay, there is a gap because if you want to collect data, how are you going to do this? If there are no people who know how to do this, right?
1: Yeah. And let's say there are people who can collect data, but there is no analytics capability who can analyze this data to make mm-hmm. decisions, then they are at a different stage in the maturity. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have any data collection at all, then they are at a different stage. If they do everything, then they are totally at a different stage. So there is uh, groups of categories. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand. Okay. And then the process part, what is there?
1: Uh, so, in the process part, we look at what is the process that the, the team have to go through to set up the system. So, organizationally, do they have all the support required? Are they actually looking at the privacy, security? Uh, are they following all the best practices out there? So, you can create a form. Anybody can create a form, but are they actually following the best practices? Are they following the right Order of things, for example, before collecting a form, is there a clear guidance from the uh, management or from the team uh, who needs this data on why they want to use this data? So you need to have that process clearly defined and in stages. So, yeah, they know that they are doing the right thing at the right order. So that would be the process.
0: So zero processes means low maturity right if there are some processes then it's like mid-level and if there is a process that explains everything like uh, i think you mentioned the standard operating procedures right if they have these things in place if everyone knows how exactly to i don't know collect data or process data or i don't know delete things that are not used like what are the sequences what is the sequence of steps you need to do then it's a good right?
1: yeah You are saying three categories, but there is much more. It's not that Mm -hmm. crisp, right? It's fussy. So, uh, yeah, it is not just three levels. There is like Mm -hmm. a a whole level of maturity scan, but uh, you are right in the overall picture. Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. And then the tech part, I guess, uh, was quite interesting. Uh, You mentioned cloud at some point, right? So what are the stages there in the tech dimension?
1: Uh, So in the text, uh, Ben, I would say, do they have, let's say, a collaborative kind of working style? Because in many cases, you will be working, yeah, like Git, of course, but are they all working in their local machines, having local copies of the data, or do they have a centralized one source of truth? Is everything accessible? Is the tech configured properly? And also from the organizational side, are they aware of the technologies that they require? from the management and uh, we look at that as well like in terms of technology uh, not just whether they are using it but are they aware of what are the alternatives and they have chosen something that is best and we look at their tech stack we look at their uh, analytics stack and see if something needs to be optimized so that will be technology
0: and uh, yeah i kind of wanted to use this as a segue to talk about different technologies and analytical tools. So what are the tools that you typically see or typically recommend your clients to use? How do you go about, you know, suggesting these tools to the customers?
1: That also depends on the maturity of the organization, but we have a few set of categories, let's say. So uh, if we are looking at uh, data visualization, we do not usually make decisions uh, for the nonprofits, profits but we give them the options and the pros and cons of each if they don't have anything, let's say. Uh, just let's take the example of data visualization. So uh, within the organization, if they want to make uh, dashboards, many organizations prefer one platform, which they already are using and they are aware of, like Power BI or Tableau. Uh, so they already have capabilities to use it. Then we try to upskilling them in that itself because usually they have a shared platform and the organization have invested in it. So we try to upskill them in it. As an organization, we do not have priorities for any technology, to be very fair. We look at the non-profit and see if they already have capabilities in something, then we try to identify from our side people who can help the non-profit in those uh, technologies. And when you say technologies, we also try to tell them if there are open source alternatives or Tools like, for example, Python or uh, others that are very easy to configure for data scientists, but then connect them to good visualization and dashboarding so that the managers and executives don't get too overwhelmed with the results that they don't, uh, they are afraid to take decisions. So, from the technology point of view, we see a lot of dashboarding because uh, many organizations are at the mature, let's say, beginning their transformation journey. So, they are still exploring and visualizing data. And when we need to do machine learning or predictions, we prefer Python or R, depending on the organization. And then when we have to develop a product uh, and deploy it, we uh, suggest them different cloud options like Azure, AWS, GCP. And then we see which fits the organization best. And many nonprofits already uh, have such uh, environment set up then we try to stick with that and go with that instead of changing the entire thing. Because like I said, we do not really have any priorities. And just to add uh, from the technology point of view, we see a lot of nonprofits have different types of data. So it's not always like just, excel file with uh, so many rows or data frames they have a lot of geospatial data they have a lot of text uh, data so to handle these they might need different technologies for example uh, for geospatial data they might need more knowledge in platforms like QGIS and for text mining in python itself they need uh, to know more about packages which are especially dealing with uh, text so yeah we try to identify that as well and then suggest them a tech stack which will fit their requirements
0: yeah so just to maybe summarize you mentioned multiple categories so you mentioned data visualization it could be tools like power bi tableau some open source alternatives then you also mentioned machine learning and then you suggest to go with things like python or python packages and r then you also mentioned cloud. Uh, this is as a way to deploy these machine learning solutions. And then you mentioned like uh, Azure and others. What are the other categories? I think you mentioned like the specific examples, like geospatial data, text data, and then for them, you have like specific tools. Do you have any other categories? Like, I don't know when it comes to maybe collecting data or storing data or something like that.
1: So we usually see these uh, categories currently in the nonprofits, like. Dashboarding visualization, we have uh, Python, R, and of course for uh, deployment. But by other technologies, do you mean like defining technologies or defining categories? What exactly? What like
0: categories? What kind of categories are there? Because I imagine that you need to keep the data somewhere. Maybe you have like some data warehousing solutions, or maybe you need to collect data. You need some data tracking solutions, or I don't know. Like what are the categories you look at?
1: Uh, so data warehousing and uh, let's say storing data, there also we a lot of nonprofits use like open, prefer, let's say open platforms. And there are solutions specifically made for nonprofits. So they tend to use that. And we see a lot of like PostgreSQL databases because uh, yeah, it's open. We also see like Kobo toolbox being used. Actually, it is a digital public good. Uh, it is meant for nonprofits to collect data in structured formats, even including images, and store it securely. And the Cobo uh, Toolbox have a humanitarian section which deals specifically for non profits, and it's an, it is registered in the digital public good registry. So there are specific tools that non profits do use and prefer, and they are specifically targeted and made for them which is amazing, and they all follow like uh, what we call the nine principles of digital development. Uh, yeah, that's uh, one of the resources that maybe uh, the viewers are also interested to see. It's about developing solutions that can scale for specifically in the public and nonprofit sector. So there are tools like COGO toolbox uh, that are very frequently used and uh, also tools like I said for data collection and databases they use like PostgresQL quite uh, frequently as well
0: but I'm wondering what kind of profiles for these tools I imagine that you need different profiles I' don't know data analysts would be usually more involved in data visualization visualization and doing like using these data storages databases like Postgres to analyze the data uh, maybe also collect data that Perhaps the data scientist profile, the data scientists are more involved in, I don't know, machine learning, training models, also getting data, uh, deploying them to the cloud, right? Do you have other profiles, like, I don't know, data engineers or deployment engineers or some other people who are also in the data world? So it is also
1: totally dependent on the nonprofits, but many of them that we see if they are at the lower uh, levels of maturity, you see a lot of unicorns, uh, let's say, they try to do everything because like, there is a resource gap, right? So, and these words, right? Data scientists, data analysts, data engineers, architects, cloud engineers, ML ops, these are all like somehow merged together. There is not a clear definition, I think even in private sector companies, uh, not always. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is not always very clear what, roles are there but if you look at a particular project i can tell you uh, there will always be in a team there is always people uh, who are let's say c- collecting analyzing data there is always like people who try to make business decisions out of data right who are trying to understand what these models are saying in the and putting it into the context of operations and usually uh, in non-profits we see a lot of research uh, teams who are looking at it from a totally different like research perspective because uh, they need to know what more data have to be collected and what more use cases can be developed. So we see a lot of data science uh, profiles, but to be very fair, most of the nonprofits are not at the stage where they are deploying like large scale machine learning models on cloud. It's just not there yet, at least with the nonprofits we work with or the development sector organizations we work with. This is not what we see. Um, most of them are still trying to figure out or defining key performance indicators. So it's still descriptive, some cases predictive. uh, Just one example is uh, early warning system. So uh, you might have heard the Great Horn of Africa have had the biggest drought in many, many years. uh, And how can you predict or, or give early warning for these kind of situations? So governments can act well, in advance. So, early warning systems, a lot of prediction on weather, climate using satellite based uh, observations and historic data. So, a lot of these things are done. But when it comes to deploying to scale, like large scale models, I do not see a lot of such applications. So, I don't see right now like a lot of MLOps, cloud architects uh, in this sector uh, yet.
0: I understand. Well, the reason I'm asking about this is right now we have a course. It's happening right now, we're on week four. The course is about data engineering. So in this course, we show how to use different tools for collecting, storing, and processing data. Uh, so the focus is more like how do you move data from one place to another place in a reliable uh, and repeatable way, reproducible. And then like uh, as a part of the project, they will need to do a dashboard. And yeah, so what I want to ask is, Like people with this kind of profile, if they want to take part in some of your initiatives, how can they do this? Or do you even need people with these kind of skills?
1: Uh, We do need them, definitely. But it is not like uh, nonprofits are going to directly hire them because it's not like there is a constant source of uh, not all nonprofits. Uh, Let's say there are some who require this, but because there is no constant source of uh, these kind of projects, right? But we do see uh, some of these applications and I can give you one very simple example. So we worked with a researcher who have developed a very amazing solution for smallholder farmers in Brazil. And what we want to do is take, uh, and it's a uh, very impactful model they have demonstrated on the ground, but how do you build that gap between research and then scaling and, and deploying it is, we want to create like a m- mobile application that will fetch all the required data and process it, immediately give results so that they can immediately act on it and this have to happen in a because it's not just a visualization we are running machine learning models at the back to give those results right so we were looking for the right set of people to uh, support such a project Another example, I told you, in uh, Tumaleste, we went and we uh, were optimizing for the location of healthcare facilities, right? And we see that a lot of these use cases recurrently appear. For example, we worked together with the World Health Organization during the COVID pandemic in Nepal, and they wanted to know where should we place COVID test labs. So it's a similar problem to what Tumaleste did, but the data stack is different so we are actually building a web application where in the back end these optimization models will run and give you results depending on the data and the country that you feed and for bigger countries it is actually a very resource intensive problem because if you look at vietnam we try to do this in vietnam for hospital healthcare facility access uh, the population is huge it's a large area to run this optimization model It requires a lot of resources, right? So, yeah, we do need machine learning engineers for specific projects and we need uh, these deployment capabilities. And we always are looking for uh, such people who want to join this mission. Uh, But also be aware that this is not like constantly we are looking for these resources. It comes uh, when such interesting projects come to us.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you have any open positions right now? Not necessarily data engineering, but data analytics too, because there is a question if you have any, if there will be in the future any open positions, but I guess you can also talk about if you have them now.
1: Uh, right now, uh, no, not until today morning. say <laughs> Things change very fast, but what we also try to do is we have a list of people and resources who we can tap into. So when a project comes, we can reach out to them. But also, uh, like I said, we have a lot of private sector organizations who are our partners. So one of the examples is Ortec, and Ortec is one of the founding partners of Analytics for a Better World, together with University of Amsterdam. They are a mathematical optimization company. We also have uh, are currently working with a lot of other organizations who support us. And when such requirements come, we first reach out to them and see, Do you have resources who can work on this project for four months or five months or sometimes one week or two weeks, depending on the project, of course. But we would really love to welcome others who would like to contribute as well and see uh, if we can work together. And uh, yeah, I'm always looking for uh, opportunities to connect with uh, people who are inspired to join us.
0: And uh, this is the same question. The first part of this: How many data analysts currently work at Analytics for a Better World?
1: Like I said, we are very new. Last year we set up, and uh, we currently have a core team of, let's say, four people. Core team. So we have managing director Robert. I'm the CTO. We have Professor Dick and Hertog and Professor Dimitris from their core, uh, science to impact co-directors and they lead research academy and others. We also have other data scientists uh, who are working like kind of full time with us. One is uh, Claudia. She's based in University of Amsterdam. We have Brit, who's a PhD student. Uh, we also have other researchers supporting us but we are a very small core team but we have a huge extended team of researchers from universities. We have uh, supporters from our organizations that are supporting us. So just to give an example, uh, during the academy, we had more than 20 professionals from private sector giving courses. So all of them came from our uh, network, uh, from the people who are in organizations. And if I can uh, look at the number of projects we currently have around running parallel electric four or five, and all of them are staffed with like three or four, but it's not always data scientists. We have sometimes data scientists, data engineers, and others. So we do have an extended network and a big team, but our core team is very small.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thanks. And then we have a question from Adonis, but I should have asked this question earlier. So I don't know if you'll be able to answer it in two minutes, but we can try. So the question is, which are the most important factors that help organizations become more data-driven? Organizations that you worked with and organizations that perhaps start from zero, from zero data maturity, and then eventually become data-driven. So what are the most important factors that help them?
1: I think long-term strategy to include data in their portfolio, because you asked what are the factors, (laughs) if I have to explain that two minutes is not enough. So I'll tell you what is the main factor that we see. Is that organizations which have a strategy of an understanding that data is required are motivated to come up with projects and come uh, want to upskill their uh, people to become more data intensive in their work and they need to make the right investments and for investments you need drive uh, also from the organization perspective and like i said before the investments have to be in three steps like people process, and it's not steps, but in three sectors, people process and technology. And understanding this as an organization is the most important thing because we see a lot of value in data and analytics being added from into the public sector organization. And we believe truly uh, from what we have seen in the last year, and, uh, nonprofits can benefit equally from data. But as an organization, they know, most of them know that data is important. but do not have made it a strategic part of their goal yet in many cases. So I think that clear vision and strategy to include data is the first step. After that comes all the investments on people process technology and clear understanding of why and how data can be used. And that's what we try to do with our academy. Yeah, making them realize how can data help. That's not always very obvious, uh, I think. And you don't immediately see results, right? Especially in nonprofits, you cannot see the healthcare system in a country improving in one day. It takes years to show real impact. Of course, there are output and outcomes from programs and upskilling initiatives, but to see the change, it takes time. So to have that patience and long-term vision is uh, equally important. And thanks for the question. Uh, it's a really good one, but I wish I had more time to... <laughs> yeah,
0: I should have uh, asked that a bit earlier. Maybe at the last one. So... This is usually the question I ask everyone is if you have any good book or resource that you can recommend to the listeners. I think one thing is you mentioned all these educational initiatives that you have, that would be a great resource that you uh, probably can recommend, that you will recommend to the listeners. Is there anything else that you would add to that?
1: Resources. For me, I always read a lot of technical stuff. So I follow like, for example, I spend every day reading uh, at least 30 minutes in towards data science. (laughs) It's very tech, but I I really love it. And on books, uh, I can recommend a book that I just finished reading. It's called The Culture Map. It's about how different people uh, from across the world, because we usually live in our bubble. We know what is happening in in our neighborhood. We know what is happening in TV, media, but uh, the world is so much bigger and different cultures. You have to understand the context, uh, how people think, lead and get things done. It's actually a really good book called The Culture Map. And I am also currently in one of the books that I'm uh, reading is uh, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I find it also very interesting. Uh, I do have a lot of technical resources, uh, not just the our resources, let's say from Analytics for a Better World, but others as well that could be interesting. I will share this across with you and maybe you can send it to your uh, subscribers. I think it will be useful.
0: We will definitely include all the resources that we talked about in this uh, interview. And I think there were quite a few of them in the show notes, in the description. And yeah, with that, I guess uh, we don't—we are a bit over time. So thanks a lot for joining us today, for sharing your experience, expertise with us. Thanks everyone for joining us today, for asking questions and yeah, it was fun. Thanks.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was really good chatting with you as well.
0: Yeah, and have a great weekend, everyone.
1: Thanks, you too. Take care, bye.
0: Goodbye.